And then there was one. And bang the trigger. Comes in for Noling. He's hit. And one! And then there was a champ. Hunger in on the takedown attempt. And he got it! With Ivy League winter teams heading into the home stretch, it's also not too early to set sights on spring and some promising signs on the horizon. There's a rivalry between Columbia and Harvard. Last year, they edged us out in the Ivy season. So, you know, we're excited to get some revenge. I'm Brian Seltzer, and this is Ivy Insights from the Ivy League, with new episodes dropping every two weeks. Season one, episode 11, Toughness and Grit. What's good out there? Welcome back. If you are a return listener, if this is a first time for you, thanks for joining the pod. Please do give us a follow and make us part of your regular listening. we got a lot of good stuff to talk about coming up in hoops, wrestling, fencing, all from the winter sports season. We'll get into that a little bit later on. But we're going to begin with Ivy League tennis. Tennis, yes, has been in action for a few weeks now. And there have been some good early season results coming in. Last weekend, Columbia women won the ECAC championship, while the Columbia men's team got a top 10 victory over then number seven, Tennessee. Columbia itself now ranked number 10 overall in the ITA poll and has also beaten North Carolina and North Carolina State. North Carolina State recently jumping into the national rankings as well. This weekend, there are a couple big events on the Ivy Tennis circuit. Six Ivy men's programs will be taking part in the ECAC tournament after the women held that last week. Harvard and Columbia, meanwhile, will be at the ITA National Indoor Championships. And how about this? Columbia, which is the eighth seed, and Harvard, which is the ninth seed, got drawn against each other. And they're going to square off in the first round on Friday, February 16th at 6.30, Columbia hosting the event at the brand new state-of-the-art Milstein Family Tennis Center. You know if Columbia men's tennis is on the court, sophomore Michael Zhang figures to be a factor. He is the reigning not only Ivy League Rookie of the Year, but Ivy League Player of the Year. Michael joining us now. Michael, the spring stretch of the season for you guys has included some really promising signs. What's encouraged you the most so far now a couple matches in? You know, I think we had a pretty strong start to our season. Um, Everyone on the team is working really hard. Our coaches are pushing us as well. And, you know, I feel like everyone on the team is really bought into kind of the team culture of being tough and gritty on the court and uh, being tough to beat. And, you know, I'm honestly happy with, you know, it's been a little bit of a tough start for me, but I think overall we're getting better and better. And I'm excited to see where we can go this season. How have you seen toughness and grit manifest itself on the court for people who might not be familiar with the sport how does that manifest itself yeah i mean tennis is really a sport where i like to think you know your kind of true self comes out in in big moments uh in tight moments where you know especially in college tennis where you know you're instead of playing for yourself you're playing for a team you know you don't want to let any of these guys down so you're going to try your best in the big moments to 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 win for your team do you like the dynamic where there's an emphasis on the collective? I mean, tennis is such an individualistic sport in some ways. Is it a nice change of pace to have this collective thing that you're working towards? Yeah, I think so. Um, it's for sure a different uh, perspective. I know because I had this contrast because in the summer I was playing some more professional events and it's kind of just yourself. It's uh, a bit lonely and a bit of a grind on the road. 
Um, but with when you're with like a team, it's uh, it really is you're playing for something more uh, like bigger than yourself, and you have these guys that come support you when you have a tough loss or when you're playing well and you have a good win. These guys, uh, your teammates are just there to support you, and it's at least on our team all good vibes. So it, it really is different, and honestly, I like it kind of more than just grinding on the road by yourself. I can imagine. I can imagine. Another distinct dynamic when it comes to college tennis and in the Ivy League is that your whole season is really parts of two seasons. In the fall, you get your feet wet, dip the toes in the water. Then during the most winter and cold months, you do some training and continue to work and reset. And then when late winter, spring comes around, you're right back at it. How does that allow you to better focus yourself for the back half of the season? Like, how do you take what you learn about yourself in the fall and apply that to now what you're working on in the spring? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's for sure the fall is a more like individual tournaments um so you get to i guess compete a little bit more or i guess you compete around the same amount but you get i think you travel maybe a little bit more in the fall but i think you're playing high level players all the time uh in the fall so you're always getting high quality matches and i think they're always a great learning opportunity for things to improve on uh, when you play some of the top college players in the country uh you always you always learn something so you always try to improve some of the weaknesses that you notice in your game and you know try to try to improve the strengths so when it time when a uh, team team nationals come because it is it is a long season for you what's the focus in this spring season what are you zeroing in on for yourself uh, i'm trying uh to get a little bit stronger physically uh get a little bit bigger i i would say i'm probably on the smaller side so gain a few pounds and then there is, uh, you know, get the backhand a little more solid, but you know, there, there are some things that I'm trying to get better. Uh, you know, improve the forehand. It's probably my strength, but you know, get it, get it even better. Michael, let's turn back the clock now and go back to the beginning for you, the early days, you and tennis. What drew you to the sport? When do you remember first having a connection to it? So my dad started uh, both me and my sister actually at the same time, uh, kind of at our local high school. And, you know, he uh, he's pretty passionate about the sport. Uh, he was kind of self-taught um, and he kind of brought me into the sport. And then, you know, he thought I had I had some talent. So we kind of kind of kept going with it. And then it's kind of led, led us here, I guess. So it's been an interesting journey. How old were you when you started? Uh, I was six, six years old when I first picked up a racket. It was a long time ago. I did play some tennis myself. And I remember just trying to cut my teeth in some USTA junior tournaments. And listen, the environment is not for everyone. It can be a little bit intense. Did you feel that at all? If you did, what were some of the things that stood out to you? And kind of how did you navigate a space that can be intense at times? Yeah, it's never easy. Um, it's, uh, I feel like something that you have to enjoy if you're not enjoying it, it's easy to get burnt out, especially since it is very competitive. As you said, um, a lot of these juniors, you know, their parents are really tough on them. they put a lot of pressure, so they, they want to win like really bad. And, you know, if I, I, I always enjoyed, uh, the journey, uh, and, you know, traveling from tournament to tournament. Uh, so it wasn't too, I made a lot of friends on along the way as well. So for me, it was, it was never, I never thought of it as a grind it was it was always enjoyable and 
I always had a, had a good time. So it was never, I, I mean, it was never, I feel like a chore for me to, to play tennis and get to compete at these tournaments. And my dad, you know, he supports me. He's been supporting me, uh, my entire, uh, tennis journey. So he's, I think he's done a good job making it enjoyable and avoiding the burnout, I guess. It seems like tennis was such a family thing for you guys. Were there ever situations or moments when things that happened on the court seeped into family life where it's like, Hey, at the dinner table or like you and your sister picking up something here and there. What was that like? Yeah, actually my sister quit tennis. Uh, she played high school tennis, but she never really played competitively, but it was like always, uh, you know, uh, talking with my dad, he's always talking about tennis, uh, around the house. That's just like his favorite thing to talk about. So, you know, dinner time, uh, lunch, whenever, whenever we're together, basically it's almost always tennis and I enjoy it. I enjoy it as well. So it's fun to talk about. The road trips. That is definitely a part of it because you've got to go around and travel to these tournaments. What are some favorite road trip memories that you have from growing up and coming through the circuit? Yeah, there's some, there are, there are a lot. Um, I would have to say at least in recent memory, Going to Wimbledon and playing at Wimbledon was probably my my favorite one. Uh, at least I think about the top of my head. It was it was just such a special trip, and really Wimbledon is the the atmosphere. Everything is just it really is different compared to some of the other other tournaments. So it was really special. Even for people who might not follow tennis closely, I would presume that most people have heard of Wimbledon or at least and familiar with what the whole thing is about there, but. What was it about that experience that really left an impression upon you? Was it walking around the All England London Tennis Club? What were the things that you felt when you walked through a venue like that? I mean, it's like, yeah, you're probably comparing it to um, someplace like, well, if you stay in the Ivy League, some of these famous football stadiums that have been around forever, the Palestra in basketball, um, Cameron Indoor Stadium at Duke for basketball. These are legendary venues. It's uh, it's It's hard to describe, but once you're in that setting, it's, it's like a certain like aura almost, uh, people are, you know, dressed almost, the players are dressed all white. Uh, it's like this certain class to it. Uh, it's, it's very different from some of the other grand slams that I played like the U S open where it's very rowdy, but everyone here is like quiet, uh, when they need to be, um, people are, it's, I mean, it, it really is hard to describe, but like the overall feeling I got was, it was just like, almost majestic sort of. These are places where it would be almost impossible, I would think, to not feel some of the history and tradition that's happened there. Are there other crossover opportunities that you get playing in some of the junior grand slams, whether it's being around pros, people at your level competing on their way up? What are things that you've experienced in some of the junior grand slam opportunities or just making your way up through the ranks, whether it's names that people might know who you've been in the same tournaments of, played against that have helped your development personally? Yeah, they're junior grand slams. Uh, it's a chance to experience, you know, some guys will never get the, another opportunity to play at these events. So it really it's you know, the highest level of tennis. So you get to experience, you're around all the pros. It's the latter weeks of the, I think it's the second week when pros start. So basically all the top players are practicing around you. Uh, some of them request you to hit. I, I was lucky enough uh, at Junior US Open to hit with Medvedev and Berrettini. So that was an amazing opportunity. And you kind of just see like the highest level of tennis and, you know, it, it inspires you to, you know, one day, hopefully you can make it back to compete in the men's uh, events. So it really is special. Do moments like that allow for side conversations? Are there chances to pick 
their brains, things like that? And if so, how do you handle it? Yeah, you're always trying to see, you know, stuff the top guys do. So when you're hitting, you know, on changeovers and stuff, you're talking with your coach, you know, if, you know, some of the pros are a little more serious, uh, you kind of feel it out. But, you know, Medvedev and Berrettini were both super nice. And, you know, we kind of picked their brains, uh, my coach and my dad, who was on court as well. And I, you know, we're, we had some nice conversations with them. So it, it's, it was pretty fun. You know, when I think back to when I was growing up, there were tennis players who I loved following because I played, but Americans that I loved following, whether it was the top liners like Sampras and Agassi and even the tier below them, Todd Martin, Michael Chang, Jim Courier. And then there was Andy Roddick as I got a little bit older. But it seems like for American men's tennis, at least, there's not quite the depth that we saw, let's say, going back to mid early 90s. Do you feel that way? And as someone who is born here, coming up through here, who did you and who have you looked up to? Who do you look to to inspiration in the tennis game, whether it's on the men or the women's side? Yeah, I would say my idols, you know, obviously the big three uh, have been so dominant in the sports, hard not to look up to them. Um, I think they've kind of achieved essentially the highest level of tennis that we've ever seen. So, but Federer has always been the guy that I've kind of tried to model my game. He's my dad's biggest Federer fan. So it's always that aggressive, like all court game that I try to model my game after. And yeah, I would say American tennis. Uh, I think there's been a surge recently. You have some other young guys coming up like Ben Shelton, uh, Tiafo, uh, um, Tommy Paul, Taylor Fritz. You know, they're starting to make a comeback. Uh, you see more Americans in the top 100. And I think it's starting to, you know, inspire some of the other young talents, you know, that, you know, Ethan Quinn just won NCAAs. He's making a push. Um, yeah, I think some of these other guys that have these weapons and have the ability to, I think, make some good runs in the slams and win some titles are starting to rise. So I think American tennis is starting to starting to rise up again. Is that a source of motivation for you? Is that something that peers of yours you guys talk about? Yeah, for sure. Whenever you see some of these guys that you grew up training with starting to do really well, it inspires you because you you start to believe, while maybe the gap isn't so big, as big as you thought, and it really does inspire to work a little bit harder in practice and, you know, have more belief in yourself that you can make it. You had some signature moments, Michael, in the past. Let's bring it back to the present. Your accomplishments last year as a freshman at Columbia, superlative, rookie of the year, player of the year, plus first team singles and doubles, the first player in Ivy League men's tennis history to ever sweep those honors. When you accomplish so much and make such an immediate impact in your career the way you have, how do you go about setting the bar for year two? And not just year two, but as you look down the line in your career. Yeah, I mean, I was that was not I was not expecting to win. Uh, I guess those awards, uh, obviously, pleasantly surprised. Uh, um, but I think just the goal is has always been to for the NCAA individual title and team, of course. Um, but you know, job isn't done, so still got to focus. And you know, there's a lot of room to improve. There are a lot of good, great players in college right now, and I think it's as tough as ever to to win this the title. Is it one of those heavy rest the crown situations? Do you find yourself being more of a marked player now that people know what you're capable of doing and you proved yourself so immediately? I think so. I think last year, some guys were caught by surprise. Um, they maybe they weren't ready for for me uh, or the level I was playing at. But this year, I think 
a lot of guys, uh, you know, they're more, they're more ready. And some of the guys that are lower ranked, they're also, everyone is kind of gunning for, for, uh, for me, uh, based on some of the results last year. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it has some pros, it has some cons, like it forces me to be on my feet all the time, on my toes. And, um, you know, sometimes these guys are playing inspired tennis, so it, it is tough, but it, I, for the most part, I think it's been good. Tennis is, as we've talked about, there is an element that's obviously such an emphasis on the individual. Where have you worked on your mental game? Where do you think your mental game is at right now? Yeah, I think uh, that has been one of my strengths where I'm able to keep calm, um, keep my composure on court uh, better than some of the other players. I'm not, I rarely am, uh, have an outburst. So I'm always able to just kind of keep my cool and just focus on competing. Um, I would say that's probably one of my biggest strengths. Coming up for you in Columbia, a very anticipated opening round matchup in the ITA Indoor Championships. Lo and behold, Columbia drawing the other top 10 team in the Ivy League right now, the Harvard Crimson. How much does this conference sharpen the skill set for you guys? When you look around the rest of the country, how well does the Ivy League stack up? Yeah, I would say recent years, it's uh, it's been growing. Uh, the level of the recruiting classes we've gone, Ivy League has gone better recruiting, higher uh, rated recruiting classes. Players just are more interested in coming to some of the Ivy League schools. And, you know, I think that was a factor in why I decided to choose Columbia. I saw, you know, some of these top players have decided to start going to the Ivy League and I knew the competition would be good. So that was one of the main factors on why I decided to come to Columbia. And I think, you know, it's obviously we're excited for the matchup. Um, there's a rivalry between Columbia and Harvard last year. They edged us out in, in uh, the Ivy season. So, you know, we're excited to get some revenge, I guess. Yes, Michael Zhang, a marked man in Ivy League men's tennis, but man, has he acquitted himself well so far. One of the impact players in the conference with so much more still ahead of him. Okay, time now to go around the rest of the Ivy League. You know, the last couple days, there's been a lot of aspirational talk about three-peats among a certain team in red that played in Las Vegas for the big game. Well, as we shift our focus to wrestling, the Big Red, they've already done it. Three-peating, right here in 2024. Well, a great night of wrestling for Cornell, winning eight of 10 bouts was too much from the Big Red. Too controlling on top, they won the close ones, they won those tight positions, able to have those deciding factors, which were mostly the takedowns or the lone takedowns of the match. Again, just too tough in the beginning right there, and the lead was a little bit more insurmountable there. Cornell sends Penn to their first Ivy League loss, and they secure their 43rd Ivy League title. It came down to the wire, but for a third year in a row, Cornell, Ivy League champions, once again, the Big Red knocked off Princeton and Penn last weekend on Friday and Saturday, respectively, to cap an undefeated 5-0 Ivy League season. Cornell has been in the national rankings all year long. Currently, they're number 10 at the time that we're taping this. They posted big non-conference wins, as we've talked about in recent weeks, over then number two, Missouri, and also number 11, Virginia Tech, earlier in the year. Cornell has won 43 Ivy League titles. 43! Insane. 30 of those titles have been outright. Just an incredible run for Cornell continues. 
On to fencing, it was a wild weekend at the 2024 Ivy League Fencing Championships. There was a three-way tie for both the men's and women's titles. Joining Princeton atop the podium at Levian Gym in New York, the hosts, Columbia, also Harvard. Columbia and Princeton also winning a piece of the title on the women's side for fencing, along with Penn. Let's do a quick check-in on what's happening with Ivy League basketball. We teased this at the top with the game-winning call. Yale over Cornell and the Bulldogs now the last of the unbeatens in the Ivy League men's race. It was Matt Nolan who hit the game winner to help Yale take down Cornell 80-78. Nolan breaking down the play that won the game afterwards. We wanted to get a JP open shot in the corner and then uh, they switched out. You know, I was going to slip back to the basket and it was open. Um, and it worked out and I made my free throw, which is good. So, you know, it came up on top. So, it's all that matters. Really impressive. The Bulldogs use an 18-point swing to erase an 8-point deficit at halftime. Cornell had been unbeaten in the Ivy League going into the game. Yale 7-0 through the first half of Ivy League play. Danny Wolf, the sophomore, he continues to beast it. The big man named Ivy League Player of the Week for a fifth time this season. Just a sophomore and his surge into the heart of this season has been something to watch. Something to watch on the women's side for Ivy League basketball, the Princeton Tigers. They're now 25th in the country in the national polls. They remain alone at the top of the women's standings. They've won 13 straight overall. They beat arch rival Penn on Saturday at the Palestra 67-54. Columbia remains tight on the Tigers' heels at 7-1. Harvard not too far behind at 6-2. Brown, Penn, Yale, they're all bidding for that fourth and final coveted spot in Ivy Madness. And yes, adding to the excitement this time of year, look out, Ivy League Lacrosse is back. Both the women and men get their seasons going this weekend. The preseason polls came out earlier this week. We'll take a look at the women's poll first. Penn, the unanimous first place pick. The Quakers took the regular season title last year in 2023 and also the Ivy League tournament title. They went on to reach the second round of the NCAA tournament. Karen Corbett back for a 25th year on the sidelines for the Quakers, weighing in on expectations for a new year. We are really excited for this season. We obviously had a great season last year and was able to turn things around from the season before that. And we grew a lot as a team and our culture is great. We had just had a team that was all bought in. And I think that they felt that they had unfinished business. And we know that we have the capabilities of going farther in the NCAAs. And I think that that is really driving this team this year. Obviously, we have the target on our back um, in the Ivy League for winning it outright last year. And we have some great teams in the league that we're going to have to bring our A game every time we play. And I do think the league is going to be strong this year. So I'm excited by that. But I also think that our, this team really has the potential and the desire to beat some top out of conference teams. And so it is driving this team to have one of the best seasons they've ever had and really excited to have this super senior and senior class lead this team to new heights. Penn ranked 13th in the national polls to start the season. Yale and Princeton also receiving votes. As for the men's preseason poll, Cornell is the unanimous selection to be Ivy League champions this year, getting all 14 first place votes. Yale, Princeton, and Penn rounding out the top four 
with Harvard, Brown, and Dartmouth following behind. Six out of the Ivy League's seven teams are ranked or receiving votes in the USILA. Preseason coaches Paul Cornell, 5th, Yale, 10th, Princeton, 11th. The Penn Quakers are 19th, Harvard and Brown getting votes too. And we should also mention that 11 Ivy League men's lacrosse players have earned spots on the preseason All-America team lists. Check IvyLeague.com for all scheduling and streaming information as both the women's and men's seasons for Ivy League lacrosse get underway in a few days. All right, that's going to do it. Ivy Insights is a production of the Ivy League. Our executive producer and master of information, the Ivy League's Associate Executive Director of Strategic Communications and External Relations, Matt Panto. Special thanks as always to Rachel Schmerich, JJ Klein, and Zach Sterrett from the Ivy League office, and this week to Michael Zhang for joining us. Be sure to stay on top of all things happening in the Ivy League with the Ivy Insights newsletter. Just go to ivyleague.com where you can sign up for free. And especially because we are still in the maiden voyage first season of this podcast, please do consider giving us a follow or subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave us a rating. It helps a lot, and we really do appreciate it. Again, next episode of Ivy Insights comes out in two weeks. I'm Brian Seltzer. We'll talk to you then.